to a grad chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's A Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and, and Postdoctoral Affairs and CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I'd like to introduce you to Mona Canso, who has just defended her PhD in chemical engineering under the supervision of Dr. Jeffrey Yakerman. Welcome to Grad Chat, Mona, and congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Colette, for having me here. I know it wasn't just just recently. I know it was in December that you defended, but of course we <laughs> haven't right. been able to talk to you until We're now. We're talking to you from the future, basically. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that must be quite exciting for you, knowing that you've done it, you've got through it all. Definitely. It's, I think it's the biggest milestone to achieve uh, so far in my life, and it's pretty exciting. Now, of course, transitioning into the job or the career life is um, not that easy. No, and I it think can I miss, be a bit daunting. Definitely. I miss, but I already miss a lot of things about PhD and my PhD life. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. It is exciting, and I'm sure you're going to do fabulously. And, of course... I'm going to put a little bit of a plug in here. Don't forget career services are, are there to help you at all because even though you've finished, you can still use their services for a full year after. So don't forget to, to use those. And, of course, your networks. I'm sure you've got lots of networks through your department, mm-hmm. uh, the Queen's LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. It's it, all it's, about it's networking, all definitely. It is all about networking, particularly in engineering. Definitely, definitely. And so there's lots of uh, Queen's alum engineers out there who I'm sure can give you some ideas as well. So mm-hmm. don't forget to sort of speak to them. But it's interesting, though, because the last time we but uh, <laughs> when we chatted about your research was during the three minute thesis competition back in 2019. Yes, when you wow. were actually at that stage doing your master's of applied science. Um, and looking at the future of plastics, I remember that you had little mm-hmm. soldiers, little plastic soldiers that's and right. things the on your toy, uh, on your soldier toys. That's co- right. Correct. So lots have clearly happened since then. So mm-hmm. what do you think about that? Because I know your your master's project is very different to what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. So. And, and I guess maybe I should tell people your research topic or for your PhD was the coronavirus from an engineering perspective. Mm-hmm. So why do you go from looking at plastics or polymers to mm-hmm. now or when, during your PhD looking at the coronavirus? Other than the fact mm-hmm. that when you started your PhD, we suddenly, you know, COVID hit us. That is right. So let's start with the three-minute thesis. That's right. Actually, you remember very well, Collect. I did talk about uh, the memory of plastics back then. It was a very exciting uh, competition as well. I I won the first round and... uh, 
the final round was pretty exciting with very competitive, very, very excellent mm-hmm. graduate students. And uh, back then, uh, I was interested in plastics. And that's why I decided, you know what, I want to ex- extend my research, I want to extend my knowledge. So let's go ahead and do a PhD in that. And I started my PhD in September 2019. And while I was working on plastics, and keep in mind, plastics are polymers. Yes. And polymers, uh, it's, it's surprising to learn that everything around this is polymer, <laughs> even coronavirus. Well, see, I would never would have thought that, right? Exactly. But- so it's a protein, and protein molecules, when they're put together, they do form a polymer, a polymer chain of repetitive sequences. So... I started in September 2019, and then March 2020 came. I was still working on my plastic project, and we were looking at this uh, famous CDC a picture of coronavirus, you know, the one with uh, the, gr- uh, the gray sphere yes. and the uh, red triangular uh, spikes around it. Right. And while looking at it, we thought, okay, it has pretty interesting uh, geometry. Let's explore it more. Maybe we could model it some way, somehow. And back then, I was developing a theory that studies polymer from its other architecture. So you would give me any polymer if it has a special architecture to it. Right. I am able to model it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that little, the image that is in everyone's brain now, these yeah. days, you can model that now. So you can create that. Mm-hmm. Synthetically, so to speak. Exactly, exactly. And I wish I could show you pictures through this podcast. <laughs> it would be easier. But exactly that. And it's it's amazing how mathematics is so powerful, so right. powerful. Just imagine this. You have an object that's moving in a stream of fluid. This motion of the object in the fluid has its own equation mathematics. Right. So COVID is moving in our bloodstream, right? Oh, okay. And that's the and that's the problem we're target, targeting there. We were writing an equation for that, but to write an equation, I have to do the model first. I put it in the bloodstream, and this is where, where things emerge, amazing things emerge. It's a bit creepy, isn't it? <laughs> I know, I know. It's creepy how, how you can sim- simplify some complex problems and you could discover a lot about them. So, so you've gone away from plastics. That's right. But you're still working with polymers. Exactly. Okay, so, and the coronavirus is being kind of one of those. One of the polymers, that's right. So then what are you trying to do, because you're a chemical engineer, mm-hmm. so what are you trying to do? You just said you've, you found this model and you've, you've stuck it in the bloodstream or a simulation mm-hmm. of a bloodstream. Are you just watching to see where it goes? Or what are you trying to do with mm-hmm. this? Exactly. So I'm trying to understand how and when does the COVID particle dock onto the human cells? Okay, so Be- those little triangles, when do they dock on? Exactly. Uh, because we found out that these three triangles, like, sorry, the, the triangles have three edges. Right. We discovered that the three edges, they're a trimer, they dock onto human cells that have dimers. So it's pretty cool how they dock uh-huh. into each other. They're not even uh, symmetric. And I'm trying to understand at what time exactly do we get infected? Right. 
And I'm trying to understand that by studying a very important parameter. It's called the rotational diffusivity. And this is kind of my focus uh, when I study any coronavirus particle. And what it means, basically, uh, it means the motion or the movement. Let's backtrack mm -hmm. to coronavirus. Coronavirus does not move. It's not mortal. The way it moves is from the thermal motion around it. Okay, so in this case, the bloodstream. Exactly. Because the, the temperature, strain. exactly. So the temperature around the coronavirus is what makes it move towards our humans, uh, okay. our cells. Okay. So that this concept by itself is called rotational diffusivity. And this is why I what I calculate for the different code particles that I've modeled. You mentioned the word temperature mm -hmm. around it. So when you say temperature, is this mm -hmm. the temperature of the environment around where the coronavirus is or of the coronavirus itself? Uh, it's a temperature of the body. Of the so, body. So, uh, yeah, there's thermal motion happening every second in our thermal energy in our bodies, okay. and that's what uh, makes it move in right. the bloodstream. So could one say if we're too cold, it's not going to move very far? <laughs> I wish so. No, no. But our bodies are, uh, are stabilized at 37 degrees. Only if you're frozen from outside and inside. And no, that's not good. We no, we, <laughs> not absolutely, good. we absolutely don't. We don't want that at all. Yes. So once you've figured out, I mean, did you figure out? What it, I mean, you already said it attaches to part of human cells that have got the dimers as opposed to the tri. Mm -hmm. I've heard a few times about other, from other chemical engineers, like sometimes there's different positive or negative right. parts. Are these both one of each? Yeah, so I was looking specifically to know if, if too much rotational diffusivity increases infection or if too little rotational diffusivity decreases infection. And what we discovered is interesting. We discovered that it only has to be at the right rotational diffusivity for every particle. Oh, really? Yes. So there's a lot there to unravel even more. Like, it doesn't really matter. If it misfires the first time, it will take uh, a bit longer, but it will come around. Oh, so it could have another chance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things, if I don't succeed the first it's time, there. try again. It's there. That's why it's highly contagious and uh, people get it right away. Mm -hmm. And so you're not looking at, when it comes to the coronavirus itself, you're not looking at how, it's, you're not looking at how long it stays, in, for instance, in the bloodstream, but... Or, or do you? Because, I mean, at some stage it's going to die, isn't it? I haven't looked at that problem, no. Okay. I'm just looking at, at the coronavirus the journey uh, from the bloodstream to the human cell. To the human. And as soon as it attaches, that's when it, you stop. Yes. Okay. So how do you actually find that out? Because, first of all, it's microscopic. Mm -hmm. uh, where are you getting the coronavirus from in the first place? I mean, are you t are you testing it on real things or is it a model as in on the computer? Mm-hmm. So this is theoretical work. As I said, the mathematics uh, is pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. So we're modeling it using a theory called general rigid bead-rot theory. That's a big word. It is. We call it, uh, there, there's an acronym though, okay. GBRT. Okay. <laughs> uh, we use GBRT to model these polymers. And as you said, it's pretty theoretical. However, the challenging thing about COVID is that there's no experimental data out there on it. Right. 
uh, people like f- funding has been put towards uh, pharma industries to produce the vaccine, but not much has been put towards doing the actual research As to and how running. It's and running experiments on actual COVID particles. So what I did then, and I wasn't sure if my theory makes sense, if it's validated on viruses, I wasn't sure. So what I did, I decided, you know what, before I go onto the, onto the COVID uh, problem, I want to study three viruses before it that are pretty known right. and, that, and that have experimental data out there. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I studied tobacco mosaic. Tobacco mosaic is a plant virus. Okay. It's used frequently in labs to manipulate some experiments. I studied uh, Gemini virus, which is also a plant virus. And I studied adenovirus. Adenovirus is the cold-like virus. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. To do particularly the cold one because it's more human involved, right? Exactly. So I applied my theory on these three viruses and they match perfectly with experiment. And this is how I was able to tell my reader, like, hey, I think there's something here. Yes. I validated it on some viruses and that's why we think the theory works very well on coronavirus as well. I'm going to throw something at that. The trouble with coronavirus, it keeps changing. Exactly. So are you... Are you hoping then that whatever the model or that you you come up with is going to be able to be transferred as well? I mean, you've already mentioned three viruses that you've managed to show its work. Mm -hmm. So regardless of how much the coronavirus changes, the model is still going to Mm -hmm. be effective? So I've been keeping up with COVID. If it changes, I'm changing the model. And this is what I did in my recent publication this year. It turns out that one of the variants, I believe it's Delta variant, Delta variant under the microscope showed that the COVID particles are not spherical anymore. They're oh. actually ellipses. Oh, really? Yeah, and the presence of ellipses and spherical, we call this pleomorphism. It's the occurrence of distinct shapes and sizes in the same uh, uh, for the same natural object. We call it, so the presence of this pleomorphism tells the scientists that this is delta variant. Okay, right. It's interesting. So that's where I decide, you know what? I want to study this again and I I will uh, change the shape that I started with because I started with a spherical mm-hmm. uh, coronavirus model and now recently I modeled them as uh, like egg-shaped oval right. particles. So the fact that it changed shape, does that and I know you say you're changing the model, but does that change how it flows in the bloodstream? It changes the rotational diffusivity. That's yes. The word. I was tra- couldn't remember yeah. that word. No problem. <laughs> it's pretty complex. No problem. It does change the rotational diffusivity. We actually found out that uh, the ellipses gave lower rotational diffusivity uh, trend than these spherical ones. So it does. It's pretty slow. It's slower, basically. So it's slower. Yes. Okay. You, which is interesting because you think it would actually be better because it's more aerodynamic. I know, right? <laughs> you think it would be easier going through. <laughs> I know, I know. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. There's always these with nature. exceptions, yes. And, and exactly. Right, exceptions in nature, which sort of t- trips us up all the time. Definitely. So I understand before I go into the sort of uh, your real-world applications and things, but you went to – you had an opportunity to go to Japan – um, and was that to continue this work? Are they doing similar work or is it just because you, you got this great 
was it the Global Link MyTex in, um, scholarship mm -hmm. to sort of help you say, go somewhere else? So are they doing stuff as well, or is it um, they've got the facilities that you need to, mm -hmm. to get your work going, getting further ahead? Mm -hmm. So fortunately, uh, the uh, project I was just talking about, about the elliptical coronaviruses, right. this project was done in collaboration with Okinawa Institute of Technology in Japan. Fantastic. And when uh, I found about the Global Link My Tax opportunity, I uh, spoke to the host there. I said, How about, what do you think? Can he said, you, of course, do let's, let's do it. Let's do it. How about you come here and we can extend our uh, research? And I just applied and I uh, fortunately got it. And I got it like a year and a half ago, but of course I wasn't able to enter Japan back then. Right. So I went to Japan in September 2022 and I stayed there for two months. And uh, they were the greatest months of my life. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, it was great that you got to do it, but it's right at the end of your PhD. So I know, I know. I told so my super... it didn't really help, did it, for you finishing off your PhD? So... The project I worked on there isn't really part of my thesis. Right. I didn't have time to write it, and I, my thesis had enough projects in it. Um, so it's definitely just uh, independent. Right. I, I call I call it the extracurriculars <laughs> in my research. <laughs> <laughs> and you got the money to be able to go there and do it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that no, that wasn't uh, part of my uh, thesis. However, it is related. Right. We worked on coronavirus as well. We 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 focused on one problem, which is pretty now. It's going to get very scientific. We we focused on the energy distribution around the COVID particle because these okay. polymers that you see are ions right. and for them to arrange themselves about around the sphere they repel each other and until they get to their potential energy minimization okay so we worked on that problem specifically uh, it's a bit different than what i did uh, earlier but it's all related does it still relate to you talking about the temperature of the human body of course, because uh, whatever I'm modeling, so uh, we do different energy configurations. We're always calculating the rotational diffusivity for each. Okay. We're always interested in that. Did you have an opportunity? So you were there for two months, you said? Uh, I was. No. That's right. Yes. So were you able to write a paper from that in collaboration with your Japanese partners? Yes. We wrote a paper and we're almost finishing it up right now. Hopefully... Uh, by the time this is out, it's going to be published and it's going to be about coronavirus uh, energy configurations. I'm sure everyone's going to be very fascinated about that. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> well, just the fact, just learning now that coronavirus changed its shape because I still have that horrible image of the round one. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's that just got plastered everywhere and everything now, you saw was this little... Let, let the ellipse stick. <laughs> yes. It was just, it's just crazy. So I want to go back to the research that you did for your PhD because you said mm -hmm. you know, the Japan trip was great, but it was a sort of a sideshow type thing or extracurricular. Yes. But I guess both with your PhD research and even that, mm -hmm. what happens next? I mean, it's all very well to say this is how it travelled and this is where it, where it's stuck to the human body itself once it's in the system. Mm -hmm. Next question is, so what? So, That's right. So what happens next? Yeah. So this is where we, we want experimentalists out there to continue this research and tell us if what we're seeing is true. Mm -hmm. Because knowing 
these very technical details about coronavirus will enhance vaccine production. I mean, I've heard a lot. I've been reading a lot about scientists trying to um, produce a pill. Right. To st- basically, it kills the coronavirus in your uh, in your bo- uh, body stream in two days. So this right. research, like this whole research, this whole uh, industrial focus, does need research. Does right. need something out there in the literature to tell them, okay, where are we heading from here? So it will definitely help any experimentalists out there trying to uh, either manufacture something helpful for COVID or just trying to do experiments on COVID mm-hmm. where he could match the theory to the experiment, he or she, of course. It's, it's, it's interesting, though, because like you said, you know, on one side, we've got the pharmaceutical companies coming up with vaccines. Yes. And then we've got the chemical engineers looking at, well, What's it actually doing? When is it attaching? Is is that the important part? Or because theoretically, maybe I'm wrong. Even if it's in the bloodstream, it's still within our body, so it right. still has a chance of doing its damage. Right. But if I'm understanding it, you're saying it, it doesn't do any damage until it actually attaches to some to a cell, not just a not just the blood. It attaches That's to right. the cell. That's right. So with your modelling, though, if you know. It's attaching to the, the bi things as opposed to the tri things. Sorry. Mm-hmm. The coronavirus had the tri and, you, and the, the, mm-hmm. the human cell had the bi. Are you, what are you hoping to achieve from that then? So knowing that that's where it's, it's connecting, which could be an issue. So what happens then? If, if you can confirm it with your modelling, what's the next step to that? Uh, mm-hmm. Does it mean changing something in our bodies? Like you said, is it, the pill will change how the cell stru- our cell structures are so that the coronavirus can't attach. Mm-hmm. But isn't that also some of the things that the vaccines are trying to do? Or is the vaccines doing mm-hmm. something totally just, just trying to kill it while it's still in the bloodstream? I think the vaccine, now I'm not a biologist, mm-hmm. so I might not explain that correctly, but the vaccine is a vaccine carries antibodies. Yes. And these antibodies are trying to sit on our human cells to kind of defend us so is that the way then that is changing perhaps so defending is it mm-hmm. changing the structure of the cell to or is just putting things out uh, this i'm not sure about right. but th- this is also another another thing i'm looking at is i'm not sure if coronavirus is changing shape in the bloodstream or in aerosol oh i see where okay. where right, and right. when is it changing right and this is something very complex mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if I'm going to study it, basically. I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm already done. <laughs> but I leave the floor yes, for any curious the scientists out there. So your model is going to show this is where it attaches and at what mm-hmm. point in time, right? Exactly. What are you hoping the next lot of researchers are going to do from... Okay, so we found it where it's attached. Like Again, I'll go back to the question of why. So what's, what's the importance of that? What's the mm-hmm. next steps when, if you can mm-hmm. prove that? then what are we wanting to do? Mm-hmm. I think the next step was uh, for me to focus on the architecture again. Okay. So I want to go back to the architecture because we've uh, figured, I actually modeled a third structure as well, but no need to get into it. It's just the more detailed spherical structure. Right. I would want to go back to that. And that's why actually I went to Japan because I was, again, focusing on the architecture of COVID. Because right. up to this point, we are not sure how many spikes are around the COVID. Can you imagine? Like, it's not oh. even a confirmed number. Oh, is that right? Because some 
uh, sources say that it sheds. Some sources say it has uh, 26. Some say it has one. Oh, okay. It's not even confirmed how many spikes it has around, around itself. So this is something I would want to look into. I want to look into maybe it really sheds. Maybe maybe it does start with, my model says it's it has 74 papillomers. Right. Maybe it does start with 74 and then just goes down and sheds while it's attached to a cell. This is something I wanted to explore right. and want to learn more about. And knowing this will definitely help an industry because this way you know, okay, so it's attaching and then it's useless. Yes, is it? This we is, don't know. We don't know, right. exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And see, I think that's where I was trying to come from because, you know, mm-hmm. vaccines are helping us in one way to protect, like you said, using triggering our antibodies to do the right thing and not be scared of this virus. Right. <laughs> but actually attack it and get it. Whereas yours is looking at, well, it's already in our body and we know it's attaching, but then what's it doing after that? Like you said, is it, again, is it changing form? its form? Is it, That's is it right. doing something else? How can you do that just from a model? I, I would imagine unless you can actually see it under a microscope, which I'm not sure is possible, how do we know how much it's changing? We've already figured out it can change. It's gone from being a, a spherical, a sphere to an elliptical. Yeah. But then that's the main thing that we see when it's in the bloodstream. But how do we know, how, how would the next person be able to model something unless you can see it visually? Hey, mm-hmm. it's changed. And then we can say, well, why, why it's changed? And we can look at that. That's how I moved from spherical to elliptical, actually. Right. I had to look at them. And we found a lot of microscopic images out there for SARS-CoV, which is pretty similar to SARS-CoV-2. Right. So we were looking at many microscopic images and as you said, yes, we have to look at it. Yes. I can't just model from my imagination. I have to look at it. I took measurements of it. Right. And I just recorded all the data that's out there and uh, collected it. I was able to come with the, with the model I have now. Well, they've clearly got a lot more to build on from what you were able to find out, which is great, both from what you did mm-hmm. in PhD research and, of course, what you also did in Japan. So mm-hmm. that, they're two really good areas yes. for people to build on. So. And I, I really encourage especially grad students to go abroad, uh, go mm. work with different research groups. It will really, really take you out of your comfort zone sometimes uh, because you're used to work with your groupmates and your supervisor right. and you know how to work with each other. But societies, Can communities work differently and oh, groups work differently. Totally. So. I, I, do you think, I mean, this is hypothetical, mm-hmm. of course, because we can always ask this question in hindsight. Do you think if you had been able to go to Japan earlier, that it would have again changed the trajectory of what you were doing in your own research? I don't think so. I think what would have happened is that the project I worked on with the elliptical coronavirus would have happened in person because we have we had that aligned already. Right. I think if I went earlier, I would have spent more time there. I wanted to complete the four months, but I had to go come back to Canada and I to defend my thesis, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so I would have loved to spend more time there because right. uh, there's a lot to learn from the research center in Okinawa. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to learn about Japan. It's a fascinating country, fascinating culture. Yes. 
till this day, I can't get over it. Like my friends make fun of me. I, Japan is always on my mind now. Oh, it is. <laughs> I mean, I've been to Japan only you once. You haven't. Wow. Only once, unfortunately. But uh, it was for, for basketball back in, t- in 2006. And wow. It was just lovely. I went to Hiroshima and, and Tokyo, the two places the team Amazing. was playing. And Amazing. You're right. It's a beautiful country and I'd love to explore yeah. more of it. Amazing. Yeah, and if anybody is in Japan or visitors, yes. definitely don't miss Kyoto. Oh, yes. Don't um, miss it. It's See, I'm definitely going to have to go back for that. <laughs> so what's next for you? And I know you said you're now looking for jobs and things and, mm-hmm. you know, all, you know, it's very nice when we're in academia because you can get engrossed in this and not have to worry so much. But at some stage, yes, mm-hmm. when you leave, unless you're staying in academia, you've got to go out. But, of course, with chemical engineering, there's lots of different areas you can go into, not just staying in and still do research if that's what you want to do without staying in an academic mm-hmm. institution. So mm-hmm. are you looking for more chemical engineering research sort of areas to get into mm-hmm. I am looking into that but I'm looking into that through institutions so right. I am applying for professorship positions fantastic I love teaching All I right. like I like leading my own research and I have the best supervisor professor Jackman he taught right. me a lot and he is the person that inspires me to be the researcher to be a researcher every single day that helps that helps yes and so if you get one of these professorships in chemical engineering, you still got to be able to apply for grants and things. And I know you were lucky enough to get a Vanier when you were mm-hmm. doing your PhD, which is not an easy feat to get. Mm-hmm. And you, so you know how important grants, getting grants of is. Of course, of course. Uh, me going through Vanier taught me how hard it is and how competitive mm-hmm. it is. But it also taught me to pour your heart into it, right. put all the hard work into it. Don't think about the competition because this is, I mean, I still help students on a yearly basis with their Vanier applications. And of course, if anybody's listening to this, please reach out. I love to help with these applications. The first thing I always hear is, it's very competitive, but I'm just going to try my luck. If that's your mindset, you're not pouring your heart into it. Just, you you have to write it as if you're winning it. And I'm serious about this, you know, just have that mindset. Mm -hmm. Put your heart into it. Put your heart into the leadership statement. Tell them who you are. Tell them your story. I think I won the Vanier because of my leadership statement. And it's where I scored the highest. Because I really showed them, I I showed a story I don't even uh, uh, talk about on a daily basis, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that's a tip for grad students that are just starting and planning to apply for the Vanier. And so, if you, you know, if, when you continue in academia, of course, mm-hmm. applying for grants is critical. Yes. Particularly in the engineering departments where you'd have to have a project. Will you continue in polymers or, or plastics or coronavirus Mm -hmm. or you you'll think of another area that you'd like to get your teeth into so to speak (laughs) yeah so because I've already applied in the application process for these uh, positions you have to you have to tell them what you want to work on so I've already thought about that Good. and uh, the answer is I want to work on um, on polymers as well it's my field I don't know anything other than polymers but I want to focus on the pharmaceutical application okay so I want to focus on molecules that are used out there in dermatological applications, oh, okay. right. especially for, um, for the face, for the collagen stimulation. Right. 
there's something I've always wanted to get into. Didn't get the chance throughout my uh, PhD because coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed coronavirus though. But yeah, this is something I would love to focus on in the future. So if I'm understanding, so dermatology, that's the skin and everything, right? Yes. So you're going to be in competition with all those plastic surgeons. <laughs> I guess, I guess. I'm just doing the, the research and hopefully get to produce something in the future. That's probably a little safer than some of the other bits and pieces that they use. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Mona, we've, we've come to the end of our show, but I really do appreciate you coming on. I, mean, I know um, we were hoping to do this earlier before you defended and everything, but it's great that you have defended. So I do appreciate you stay, sticking around and doing this show with us. Uh, and, and best of luck for next time. Keep, keep in touch. Let us know how things go. Oh, thank you, Colette. We'll definitely stay in touch. And thank you for all the listeners. And, yeah, thank you for having me today. You're very welcome. Mm -hmm. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. And don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.